Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tougher, even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high across the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network Headquarters. Today is Wednesday, May the 25th. This is episode 671 of the Survival Podcast, and today... We're going to revisit a topic we only really discussed one time in depth, and that's airsoft shooting. And really, airsoft shooting is a training method and some different things. A lot of the things I talked about before because I think it's important that I bring this topic up again, uh, but some new, new twists and new spins on it, some new thoughts on it. Uh, I think airsoft is one of the most underrated training mechanisms there is. And if you think I'm going to be talking about the guys today that gear up into military units and go out in the woods and shoot at each other, that's, that's not really what I'm going to talk about at all. I don't have anything negative to say about that type of activity, but I think that there's tremendous amount of information and resources out there, some really great forums, some really great groups of people to get together and do that. Um, but I also think that because some people aren't interested in doing that, they write off airsoft. It's, it's either a kid's toy or it's for that application. And I see tremendous numbers of applications in between the two. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about using it to become a better shooter. I want to talk about using it when you're training people so that you can become a better trainer and coach. Because, well, you're more relaxed when you know if somebody makes a mistake, they're not going to blow your foot off. Uh, with some basic safety gear and following the same safety rules we do with a firearm, uh, we have some inherent additional safety available to us when we're firing a 6mm plastic BB versus even, let's say, a 40 grain 22 caliber uh, lead, lead, uh, lead projectile. And uh, I think that makes for a more relaxed training scenario for the new shooter, for, for you know, the new shooter and the new coach. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a lot of different things and a lot of different advantages that Airsoft offers you today. So if you're not into wargaming, I suggest that you give this episode a shot anyway. Before we get into that main topic, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today, MERS Radio. That's actually M-U-R-S hyphen radio.com. That's Rob over there, and Rob is really a specialized guy. He's got a very small selection of gear. He's not the Walmart of radios or anything. He specializes in MERS and a few different little uh, portable ham uh, radio options and some motion detector security things and some things like that. What does that mean? That means he's specialized, and that means if you buy equipment from him and you're trying to do something and you call him on the phone or you send him an email, he's going to say, here's exactly how you do that, or you can't do that. He's not going to waste your time and try to figure something out, blame a manufacturer, what have you. When you know your equipment cold, you're able to provide exceptional customer support. When you love your customers, it comes naturally to do that. Rob has both of those going on for him. And what I love about his product, the MERS product line, is it blends secondary communications and security into a single product set. I am very happy to have them now. 
now that we have, we're, you know, we're up at our homestead, we're, we're miles out in the, in the boondocks from anywhere, and knowing what's going on around our property because we have those motion detectors out there is very helpful and gives us a great deal of additional security by upping our awareness. Next up today, Safe Castle Royal. Safe Castle Royal has all the things that you need for your prepping ready to go on their website with great pricing and great service. They're also who I called the original Survival Podcast sponsor because, well, there can only be one of those. There can only be one person who was the first company to ever sponsor the show and is still here in that safe castle. They were the first official paying sponsor for our show. They also support the MSB. They have a great discount buyers club that can cost you $29 a year if you go to their site and buy it. And people do that every day because of the substantial discounts that it affords you on everything that they sell. But if you join my member support brigade, you know, you get discounts to about 25 vendors and one is Safe Castle and you get that $29 lifetime membership absolutely for free, which covers about, well, let's say two thirds of your first year of membership. All right. Uh, next up today, I want to remind you about our gear shop. We have some cool stuff in there. One of the things that I, I haven't talked about on the air and I need to review is the uh, Victor Knox flashlights that we have. Uh, man, they're a great light. Um, use a couple double A's, so it's common battery type. Really, really bright, beautiful TSP logo engraved on them. Very affordable. Check them out. One of the highest quality lights I've ever put my hand on and something I'm happy to have the Survival Podcast brand associated with. Uh, last but not least, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade. You do that, you get exclusive content available only to members. You also get all those great discounts I talked about before. And remember, if you are a prior service or active duty military, you can be retired. You don't have to be retired. You don't have to do your 20. If you've served in the United States military in any capacity, and yes, that does include the Coast Guard, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, or, or Coast Guard, and the National Guard or Reserves, Uh, I think anybody that belittles the National Guard or Reserves doesn't have a flipping idea what those guys do. There's been a lot of our National Guard over in Iraq and Afghanistan getting their asses blown up uh, to, to help us out because their units have been activated and sent over there. So I've had some people say, you know, I'm in the, I was in the Guard for 15 years. Does that count? You bet your ass it counts. So if you, if you qualify for the military discount before you join, send me an email, uh, let me know, and I will send you a discount code just for military service members. This is thank you for defending and supporting our nation and the sacrifices that it requires to be a member of the military. All right. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic. Like I said today, I, oh, actually, I got one more thing for you guys. A little, you know, I wanted to do the uh, saving money tip thing uh, where I was going to start doing one a day, and I have one to do for you today. Uh, this come, came in this morning, and I thought it was such a cool tip. I wanted to do it right away instead of in order. comes from John, and it refers back to a tip that we had from a listener in one of the other Saving Money shows, and it was on uh, restaurants.com. So you go to restaurant.com, and you can buy gift certificates for restaurants in your area. You might get a... $50 gift certificate for $25. Again, you have to be careful with that. There are often things like it doesn't include alcoholic beverages. There's a minimum amount you spend, things like that. But there are some good deals there. Well, John sends me an email and says how to, how to do this even smarter. Uh, I'll read you his email. Sign up for an account before using it. They are always having a special where you can get 70% to 80% off with a promo code that they email out every week. For example, type in the word plate today or tomorrow in the promo code box at checkout and it will bring that $25 certificate from $10 down to 3 
And even with the exclusions, that's a pretty dadgone good deal. That came to us from John. So if you're using restaurant.com to buy those discounted cards, join the site before you buy and wait till you get a discount code. If you want to use a discount code today or tomorrow, apparently this week's is PLATE, all capital letters, P-L-A-T-E. Now let's get into the main topic. So, John, thanks for that. Um, again, I think that Airsoft kind of gets a bad rap Because, well, thugs make the weapons look real and try to use them to jack people. Um, we generally see, when we think of airsoft, the people that are doing like the cool stuff with it, uh, that are doing the higher, using the higher end equipment and all, uh, you know, all camoed up out in the woods and uh, going through multiple combat, you know, force on force engagement scenarios. Again, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think a lot of people just aren't interested. And because they're not interested, then they write off the whole genre. Uh, and if you are into that, I think you'll like today's show. It just won't really be about what you do every day. A uh, little bit of tactical training we're definitely going to bring into this, because I think there's a real, uh, real opportunity with tactical training in Airsoft, and I've got some interesting ideas about how to make it more practical for the person that just wants to be able to defend their family and their home and what they have and other people on the street. Um, but... Just because you're not in that world doesn't mean that airsoft doesn't apply to you. And it doesn't mean that, well, it's either that or, you know, kids, you know, plinking at stuff in the backyard. First of all, if you're a firearms enthusiast at all, if you like to shoot, I defy you to go and get your hands on any airsoft uh, pistol uh, or, or carbine or, or what have you. And uh, start plinking at a tin can about 25 to 30 feet away and see how long it takes you to put it down. Um, whatever your thoughts are as soon as you start doing it, you're like, hey, this is pretty cool. And what will amaze you right off the bat with some of these, uh, these, uh, these guns is how accurate they actually are. I have one that I've, I think I'm on my third one now. They generally get about, I think you can put about five to 10,000 shots through them before they start to have malfunctions. And since they cost about 30 bucks, I figure what more could you ask for it? Uh, but it's, it's, it's a pretty cool and inexpensive little spring gun. And it's a clone of the Smith and Wesson, uh, version of the 1911. And it's, uh, 4505, I think was it was originally came out. Now they call it the 4506 model. Uh, that little thing will ding a quarter size group at 50 feet uh, if you're indoors out of the wind, if you're shooting inside. And you can do that outside on days where it's not real breezy. Uh, but I, my point with that is a lot of people that would say, well, you know, if I can't shoot at 25 yards and hold the group uh, with it, it's not really that great of a training tool because, you know, that's, that's, that's what I shoot. Because when I go to the pistol range, that's how far away the targets are on the pistol portion of the range where I go pay 7 or 10 or 15 bucks a day when I want to go shoot. But the reality is very, very few people will ever be using a pistol as a defensive tool at 25 yards. Uh, in fact, the average is 7 yards or less when it comes to a deadly, you know, f deadly force situation. Uh, with a handgun. So the practical aspects are that's how much distance you need for accuracy. So seven yards, 21 feet. And uh, if you got something that can hit a quarter at 50 feet, well, guess what that means? That means you have enough accuracy to simulate what you need to simulate. I'll also tell you this. I don't know many shooters, and I can do it, but I don't know a lot of shooters that, unless they practice a lot, can consistently hit a quarter at 50 feet with any gun especially any handgun. So what I'm saying there is the accuracy is more than sufficient for the job at hand. And 
I think what we really maybe need to start out with is just understanding what's available and the different types of airsoft guns that are out there. And my God, that could go on for days and days and days, and people debate this model over that model. I just want to give you some of the basics of what's available, how they operate, and, and kind of what the, the good and the bad about them are. Uh, the, the first and most inexpensive uh, type of airsoft gun is the spring gun. They call them springers. And there's handguns, there's, there's, there's rifles, there's carbines, there's all different forms and formats that are one version or another of a spring gun. Generally, they're not that powerful in comparison to the gas-operated or the electric models, but some of them are actually surprisingly powerful. The, uh, the 4505, 4506, uh, whatever they're calling it now, uh, 1911 clone by Smith & Wesson, Uh, that I shoot a lot to practice with. You cock it with a slide uh, and fire one shot, cock it with a slide, fire another shot that's spring-powered, is actually quite substantial uh, compared to some what they call automatic electric guns, which we'll get to in a second. And I'm looking at a review that I did a long time ago on our forum, but uh, it'll basically shoot a .12 grain uh, 6-millimeter plastic BB at 315 feet per second, and that's the lighter ones. I like to shoot the heavier ones, the .2 grain, Uh, and it'll put that at a 290 feet per second. And that's moving, and that's something you, at, at close range, you definitely don't want to be hit with. And in any kind of tactical scenario, there are, uh, especially with the guys that are out there running around the woods, there's what's called rules of engagement. And different weapons and different classes are not even to be used on a person uh, under a certain range. And then there's safety equipment that you wear. So it all goes without saying that anytime you're doing any kind of tactical training involving another human being, that the capabilities of the gun and the safety equipment required needs to be in place, and distance restrictions need to be had. 300, 300 feet per second with a .2 grain BB at close range will pierce the skin. In certain parts of the body, it will actually embed itself. I've seen pictures on airsoft forums of guys with uh, you know, some of these plastic BBs, like a string of them in their ear, stuck in their ear because rules of engagements were not um, obeyed. So it's very important they do that. But my point here with that is that some spring guns are actually capable of getting up into the range of some of the electric guns and some of the uh, even some of the gas guns uh, to a degree. They also tend to have a great deal of accuracy, from my experience, uh, quite a bit more so than some of the electric guns or the gas guns. They also reduce your rate of fire, which if you're Wargaming is a problem, but if you're training yourself or training somebody else, it's actually an advantage because now we have to focus on each and every shot. And the fact that I put three out of the five shots where they belonged and the other two missed is a lot more evident when I'm taking one shot at a time than when I'm firing rapid fire. Now, obviously, for certain tactical training situations and all, that limitation becomes too much of a limitation. It ruins reality But for pure target training, they're the most economical, they're the most reliable as far as the least number of malfunctions uh, at their intended ranges. Some of them are extremely accurate. Uh, the 1911 clone from Smith Wesson and the Beretta M9 clone are the two most accurate Springer pistols that I've seen. I've seen a few different versions of Springer, so they call sniper rifles, and they're okay. Okay. Uh, in fact, it's really mostly in, in the sniper rifle category, a lot of some higher-end springers are actually preferred by some of the guys that are out there playing the war game thing. But again, we're really not focused on that today. But I just want you to understand that just because it's spring and just because it's inexpensive doesn't mean it's bad. In fact, it might be a great starter pistol for training. 
Um, those of you training kids, you're a lot less likely to have problems during the training if every single shot has to be cocked before it's fired. Uh, next up, I want to talk a little bit about gas. Gas gets interesting. Um, there's two primary types of gas that are used out there. There's really three. There's some lower-end uh, guns that use CO2 cartridges, the same thing like a Crossman air pistol would use. They get rather expensive because you have to replace the cartridge each time. The cartridge is relatively low capacity, so how many shots you can fire before exchanging it is a little bit less than using the other options uh, and definitely not as economical. So they're not generally used by a lot of the serious gamers, but there are entry-level gas pistols that simulate the rate of fire of a semi-auto handgun uh, that use CO2. There's nothing wrong with them. My experience, though, uh, most of them that I've fired seem to have a really bad habit of tracking the, uh, the pellet up and left or up and right, depending on how it's spinning uh, the, uh, the pellet. So you watch the pellet go out, and it takes this nasty curve. Uh, some of even the higher-end guns tend to do that. They call that a hop-up system. It's designed to extend range. If the pellet's moving up, it will carry greater distance before it drops, before it can hit your opponent in a tactical training situation. That's great when you're trying to hit a man-sized target and extend your distance. When you're trying to focus on accuracy training, not so much. So the weapons in the gas category that tend to shoot more accurately from my personal experience. I know somebody's out there going, it's CO2 and it's great and all. Well, that's fine. Uh, but it, generally speaking, especially when you move into the gas blowback pistols, so the semi-auto pistol that not only when you fire it, the slide actually comes back and functions just like a real-world weapon, uh, those generally use something called green gas, and many of them are also able to use 134A, which is the more environmentally form of Freon that we now use in air conditioners and things like that. Uh, both of those propellants are relatively affordable. The 134A is cheaper, but, some, but it's, it, it's, it operates at, I guess, higher pressures in any event. Some guns become damaged when using it. Conversely, though, when temperatures get really hot, if you're out playing or shooting and it's near 100 degrees or higher, many shooters will switch from the green gas to the 134A because at that point the green gas actually gets higher pressures due to the higher heat and the 148, uh, 134A apparently is more stable. I don't have a lot of experience with gas blowback pistols and trying different models and different gas. I'm just telling you my experience from talking to other airsoft shooters. To me, though, the big advantage into moving into the gas pistol category is going into the, the again, the gas blowback actual replica uh, pistol so that when I'm picking up something that's a clone of my 1911, the safety, uh, the trigger, everything is very, very similar, uh, if not identical, to the actual weapon. I can do and th just about any popular handgun that's out there has an airsoft clone and probably has one uh, that's a green gas uh, blowback uh, model uh, in the airsoft world. So what that means is if you carry a specific model of handgun, you can go out and buy the replica of that in airsoft. And when you do your airsoft training, everything feels pretty much the same. It's never going to be exactly the same. You're never going to deal with the same amount of recoil. You're never going to deal with the muzzle jump and the muzzle flash. There's a little bit of recoil by that, that, uh, that reciprocating action of the slide, but I know it's not exactly the same. But when it comes to developing muscle memory and memory of the, the component parts and training yourself to consistently perform the same way, it gives you everything you need. 
Moving on to the uh, automatic electric guns. These are more for your war gamers, but they can play a role for the person that just wants more training options. If you own that M4 carbine and you want to train to use it tactically, even if you're not running around dressed up like the Viet Cong out in your local, uh, you know, you know, park or something like that, and please. If you guys are going to actually go out and do this, get involved with people already doing it that understand things like notifying local authorities, only doing it in certain areas, because if you just go out to your local park and start doing this the way these things look real and all, uh, next thing you know, the local PD and whatever is going to be down there because people are going to say there's terrorists in the, in the city park or something like that. That's what's going to happen. So please get it if you're going to do it at that level. But let's say that what you want to do is you want to start training in your backyard. And you want to start training for scenarios if you had to use your M4 or, or your shotgun or what have you. Um, you can get a replica uh, automatic electric gun and do that. Or a replica spring gun and do that. So they do serve that role as well. They're fun as hell. Uh, they're, they're extremely fun. Now, here's my personal opinion about the AEGs. Uh, and this is, you know, you could have an AK clone. You could have a, an FNFAL clone. You could have... Uh, an M4 clone, old A1 clone, you name it. If there's a military rifle you can think of, somebody somewhere, and a lot of them are coming out of uh, China and Japan, uh, has a clone of that weapon that functions almost exactly the same way. Safety's in the same place. Trigger mechanism's very, very similar, at least externally. Uh, dimensionally, they're the same, what have you. The problem I have is I see these guys going out and doing these force-on-force -force engagement trainings and all with, uh, let's say, M4 clones. And they have these magazines that hold like, you know, 250 rounds. Well, I've shot ARs all my life, and I, I really haven't ever seen an AR with a, a 200 or 250 round mag. I use uh, Magpul uh, P-Mags, uh, P-30s that hold 30 rounds. So I think when you're doing that type of training, even if the weapon has the capability, if you want to make the training more realistic, then drop the allowable count per mag down. And, you know, you've got to carry mags and reload. I think that would make it more realistic. But my point is that these guns can be used not just for marksmanship training. You don't have to go to one extreme or the other. We can start doing some tactical training that I'll talk about in a bit. But there's your three basics. And there's probably other stuff out there. And I'm not an airsoft expert, uh, but I do train with them. And, and these are the different ones that I've used. Uh, I want to really talk real quick about one of the most important things, I think, that, that airsoft brings to you. I think it lets people shoot more often. In fact, I know it lets people shoot more often because even if you have a place out in the country where you can go out your back door and shoot, there's a certain cost associated with that. And very few of us are you know, made of money, as they put it. So uh, if I can shoot a lot more because I can afford to shoot more, I'm going to shoot more. Additionally, I know a lot of my audience lives in places where walking out your back door and shooting is not possible. Until very recently, I was right there with you. Now I can do that. I still use Airsoft for training. I always will because I think there's a lot of value in it. But for the person in suburban America, uh, you can go out and create a few different little target scenarios for yourself, either just to stand and shoot and work on marksmanship or to do some shooting and moving, get off the X type of things in a backyard anywhere in America. And there's nothing illegal about what you're doing. Some local ordinances may be stupid, so check your local ordinances. Uh, but I did have PD come out to my place one time uh, when I was training with Airsoft and uh, in Arlington. And the guy came out, he looked at it, and he said, not only am I not going to bother you, not only am I not going to tell you what you know, you know, to not do what you're doing, 
Uh, but I'm going to go make a phone call and talk to the person who reported this and tell them there's nothing wrong with what you're doing and to go on about their business. Uh, I'm sure there are places where some officers may not be as reasonable as that. Hopefully, if you ever have the issue, you'll get one of them. Uh, be polite, be courteous, explain what you're doing, why you're doing it, and how you've taken safety into account, and they'll probably tell you the same thing they told me. So my point is you can shoot in your backyard just about anywhere in America, and most of us can't do that. And by allowing that activity to take place, we're going to shoot more. Is it equivalent to going out, if you go out and shoot 100 rounds of airsoft every day, is it equivalent to going to the range and shooting 100 rounds of 9mm every day? No. But it's damn close, and it's closer than most people would lead you to believe. When it comes to marksmanship, and I don't care whether it's rapid fire or slow fire or whatever you're doing, The fundamentals of one gun to the next are the same. The sights need to be aligned on the target. The trigger control, the breathing, the squeezing, uh, and the manipulation of the weapon all need to be consistent or the accuracy is not consistent. And you have to focus on that with airsoft. And I'll tell you something else about airsoft. When you fire even some of the higher powered uh, uh, guns, you generally can see that pellet fly. And you know what you've done wrong. You know why you're pulling low left. You feel it more. And I think that that is a tremendous advantage as well. It will make you focus. I will tell you this. I will give anybody uh, the option of taking this challenge. And if you fail in this challenge, email me and I'll give you a free MSB or something. If you get a quality airsoft handgun and you shoot 100 rounds a day out of it for 30 days, and the day before you do that, you go to the range and you shoot at 50 feet, at a, a target with a handgun of your choice, and you record your results, you, you fire 10 rounds into 10 targets, fire 100 rounds. And then you go out and you do the airsoft challenge for 30 days straight, consistently in a row. And then you go back to that range with that same firearm and fire those 10 rounds at 10 targets, 100 rounds again. I guarantee your overall performance will improve over that 30-day period. And it is so inexpensive and so easy and so convenient because every night after work you can come home and set up a couple targets out in the backyard or set up a little uh, you know a sheet to, to catch your pellets with down in the basement. You can use these things inside and you can go do that every single day. And unless you're blessed with the location and the funding to shoot firearms every day, you'll never be able to do that. That's why I think there's so much to be gained here if we can get past the stigma that some people have against them. Um, I also think that we really need to understand what we can do with new shooters and how we can be better coaches using Airsoft. I've taught a lot of people to shoot. And I can tell you, especially when it comes to handguns, when I take somebody to a range that's never fired a gun before or I've not actually worked with before and I don't know what they really think safety is, I'm always very apprehensive. And I'm always standing to their left and a little bit uh, to the rear and I'm always watching that gun at every second, every moment, all the time. And if that hand goes anywhere it's not supposed to, my right hand's going in there and controlling that weapon and keeping it downrange and explaining why we don't do that. And if I have to do that more than twice, the gun's coming out of the hand and we're leaving because we're not ready to be there yet. And that's a little bit easier of an, of an occupation to control when the person you're working with, especially younger shooters, is holding a long arm than a handgun. With a long arm, I can see that muzzle. I can see the intent a lot better. 
I'm still hypervigilant, but I feel a little bit safer. Uh, they're not going to turn around and have that muzzle barrel down on my chest or somebody downrange. With Airsoft, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to be a lot more relaxed about it because the worst thing that's going to happen, because uh, I'm going to be wearing safety glasses and what have you, is I'm going to get my skin pierced and I'm going to be really mad as hell and probably kick somebody in the butt. But I'm not going to die, and nobody downrange is going to die. And, and that is a tremendous uh, relief, and I can now work with that new shooter, or you can work with that new shooter, until not only you develop, the, the shooter develops confidence in themselves, until you develop confidence in the safety of that shooter, before you move on to a more serious weapon and start taking them out with actual live fire. So it makes you a better coach because you're not so wound up so tight as a spring, even though you still need to be just as hypervigilant. Explaining what I mean by the hypervigilance in training new shooters, when you train a new shooter with an airsoft weapon, and you are going to train them to a point where you're eventually going to take them out and shoot actual firearms with them, you need to train them with that, with that in mind. Look, we all understand that this is not a lethal implement, but it can cause, it can cause eye loss and it can cause pain. And we need to treat it with the same respect we do a regular firearm. And if I'm ever going to work with you, and especially with kids, right? If I'm ever going to work with you with a real firearm, then we're going to have to treat this serious. And when I see you treat this in a way where I feel safety for myself and others, I will take you to an actual range and we will start stepping up. When I had my son get his first gun, it was a Daisy 105 PAL. All right, we're talking about the weakest BB gun on the planet. Not airsoft, but similar type of situation. Airsoft really wasn't that popular way back when. Well, when I'd take him out in the woods and we would go shoot that, and we would come to a fence, I would have him treat that BB gun like a firearm. I would have him set that under the fence with the safety on, about halfway under the fence, go down the fence a little bit, cross the fence, and come back and pick the gun up. I told him that if you don't do exactly what I say, somebody could lose an eye with this, including yourself. Somebody could be seriously injured because of this. You probably ain't going to kill anybody, but you could seriously hurt somebody. And we have to treat this with respect. So by the time, three years later, I actually had him sitting uh, at a range shooting skeet with a 20-gauge shotgun, his habits and practices were the same that I would expect from, from somebody that had been shooting for 20 years. In fact, they were probably better. Because it was ingrained so strongly. Airsoft can do that for you. And again, that makes a better shooter. That makes a better coach. Let me tell you something else. There is no such thing as a new shooter who fires firearms for the first time that doesn't have some level of intimidation from the weapon. That's not affected in some way by recoil. It's not affected, by, affected in some way by muzzle flash. That fear is absent with airsoft. So I can work on the fundamentals of shooting with a person to, with no fear. We can have respect without fear. So that by the time we move to using firearms, we've also done the same. We now respect the hell out of that weapon, but we do not fear it. Because if we fear it, we cannot control it. We cannot master it. We cannot shoot it well. I fundamentally believe that. If you are, if you are scared every time you pull the trigger, your fundamentals will not be right. You will flinch. You will pull a left with a handgun most likely. Um, you will close your eyes right at the shot. You will do things you shouldn't do because the weapon's intimidating you. Uh, by the way, if you're dealing with a shooter when you actually move into the center fire, rim fire world that's doing this and they don't believe that they're flinching, 
This is one of the best training exercises, and this can be done whether you're shooting paper targets, pop-up targets, silhouette, skeet with a shotgun. I don't care what you're doing. You stand behind the shooter, uh, safety on, muzzle up. You load the weapon. You hand them the weapon, uh, you know, around their, their right side if they're right-handed shooter, left hand if they're left-handed shooter. They take the weapon, they fire one shot, they return the weapon back to you. It only ever has one round in it at any time. Here's the key. Sometimes it doesn't have any rounds in it at all. And that, you know, that skeet flies out or they level on that 10 ring and they pull the trigger and they expect it to go off and they don't know that it's not going to go off. And when they do it and they flinch, they see it. They see themselves flinch. They catch themselves, they believe that, and they move on. But we can eliminate so much of that, and that's the great thing about rimfire. You start a person shooting rimfire, and you slowly move them up from there, they become accustomed to muzzle, muzzle flash and recoil. They don't become scared. But now we can go down to another level. So we make better shooters with airsoft. The other thing we can do is we can really do something I think that is so important. So, so important in America today. We can protect the Second Amendment with airsoft. And those of you who have seen all the Japanese shooters that are real big enthusiasts and they're shooting, uh, basically, I, you know, uh, what is it, ISPC um, type events with airsoft over in Japan because they can't own a weapon, may not really understand that because you might think, well, in this place, it's a perfect example of this is replacing firearms. But in America, we don't have that problem yet. Okay? We still have the ability to own uh, a weapon. We still have the Second Amendment of our Constitution. We haven't even have a Supreme Court that, court that ruled that the Second Amendment does apply to the individual and that uh, it, is, it is a protected right. It wasn't just the National Guard slash militia. Uh, like, we didn't know that already. But, you know, in Heller versus D.C., that was kind of put to bed. It's actually a case that the Second Amendment in some ways is stronger than it's been in a long time in America, thanks to that case. But I'll tell you the truth. The, the ownership of firearms in America has been under threat since the day America was founded. The Bill of Rights came out shortly after the initial Constitution. And what happened was that the founders and, and the people in charge of the time that had been newly elected looked at the Constitution and looked at some of the ramblings and things that were going on in government and said, hey, there's some things that we didn't include in the Constitution that we need to take care of with amendment because if we don't, these rights will go away. There were actually people that were opposed to the Bill of Rights. And the reason that they were opposed to the Bill of Rights uh, was actually quite a simple matter. They believed that in time new things would come under attack, and that the Constitution basically made it really hard for anybody to take any, any right away from you. Uh, and they said, if we don't put every stinking thing in the Bill of Rights, then later on when somebody's trying to pass a law that takes away a right, they'll point to the Bill of Rights and say, see, they didn't exclude this. And the, the cooler heads prevailed and said, look, if we don't do this, These things right now, they're going to find a way to do it. We need to exclude this. And then, you know, we'll put in a clause that basically says just because we didn't say you, you, you couldn't do something, doesn't mean, or just basically to the government, just because we didn't say you couldn't infringe on something doesn't mean you can infringe on it. All right. That's part of the ninth and the tenth amendments there. But the second, and here's the important, I guess here's the important thing. All of the things that went into the constitutional bill of rights were things that people at the time were concerned about. That there was somebody out there making some level of a, of a rumble saying that, you know, maybe that we shouldn't allow this. 
So that means that the fact that we have a Second Amendment means that it was on the minds of the founders because the ownership of arms was already under attack when this nation was an infant. And what that tells us is so important is it's not going to go away. There will always be people that believe that you should be dependent on another and that you do not have the right to defend yourself with lethal force, that you do not have the right to own a gun, that it, it, that is is made up thing, and that there's no inherent right to self defense, and that society should take care of things like that through things like law enforcement and military, and you as an individual do not need to be trusted. They will always be there. The biggest way we combat that is not by joining the NRA, even though I am a lifetime member of the NRA, and I think if you can afford it, you should be too. It is not by you know uh, writing letters to your congressmen and senators, which I think you should do and I do whenever the issue comes up. It's not by being internally vigilant from it. I mean, that I think we should do that too. But the number one way that we can protect the Second Amendment is to have as many Americans out there as possible sensibly trained, and legally armed now. If we have over half of America, and we don't, but if we had over 50% of America own a weapon, getting them taken away from America would all be but impossible. If you think that's wrong, we have over 50% of America being paid by the government in some form, how hard is it to shut down the government paying somebody? It's really hard. And why? Because over half the people in a, in a republic that uses a democratic form of elections are benefiting from it. So we have to convince those people that, you know, we all got to give a little bit up. That's hard to do. What that means is the more people out there that are responsible owners of firearms that we can create, the harder it is to attack the right. Because it's real easy for the person that grew up in a place like Boston or New York or Hartford or Tallahassee or Los Angeles or Austin and never touched a gun. And was always told by their family, they're dangerous, Johnny. They're dangerous. You don't ever want a gun. They're bad, 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 Johnny. Right? It's easy for that person when somebody comes up and starts about talking about more sensible gun control measures and ignores the 22,000 gun laws already on them. It's really easy for that person to say, you know, yeah, I mean, I saw this guy that got shot on the news last night. Yeah, we do need better guns. They don't even have an idea that not only shooting the guy was illegal, but the guy, you know, broke 13 laws in the possession of the weapon in the first place because he was a felon, the weapon was stolen, and on and on and on. They have no idea of that. Uh, but it's easy for them to say, yeah, yeah, we should take away the guns, uh, you know. When that person has a coworker or a friend or a mentor that trains them and teaches them and makes them feel confident in the use of a weapon and explains, no, weapons aren't bad. The intent of the holder is what makes the weapon for good or for evil. It can defend a home. It can save a life. It can also illegitimately take a life. It's all about how it's used. Once that person understands that, is trained and is confident and has no fear of the weapon, and then goes out and makes a purchase, when they hear, we need to take guns away, that means we need to take away your gun. It's not somebody else's gun. It becomes personal for them. And that's why I say the number one way to preserve and protect our rights as firearms owners in this nation is to create more owners of firearms. I'll say it one more time because I believe in it so much. If you want to defend the Second Amendment, what you can do that's more powerful is create one new gun owner. Because if all of us did that, we'd have the battle licked. If every gun owner in America would set out with a mission to find one person who's misinformed but open, to train them properly, 
to work with them, to be a mentor to them, to take them, take classes with them, even if you feel you don't need the classes, and to encourage them to become a responsible firearm owner of their own. The Second Amendment would be become the impenetrable wall it should already be, simply because it's written in the foundational document of our law. But that's what it's going to take. Because in, I'll tell you what, in 1800, when everybody had arms, trying to repeal that or trying to pass a law that circumvented it would have been met with unbelievable resistance. But as the number of owners per capita has dwindled, the safety and security of our Second Amendment has also weakened. And one vote could have changed Heller versus D.C. That great landmark case that did so much for us teetered on one vote. And it's important that we understand that. And it's important that we understand it is ownership that will preserve our Second Amendment. And I really believe that Airsoft is a great way to create that gateway for new people to walk through. There's so many people out there that have been so misled and confused and 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 and, and you know misdirected by the media, by their own family, by bias that are so afraid of shooting that they won't take the first step. They'll even say, "Oh yeah, I'd be open to that" until you say, "Hey, let's go to the range tomorrow." And again, I'm not real comfortable taking that person to the range without seeing their responsibility level first. Right? I want I want to feel confident in that person so that when I go there we can have a great experience together. But I can get that person to come over, drink a coke, grill some steaks, and shoot some plywood targets in my backyard with airsoft. They'll be open to that because it's not dangerous in their mind. We have to talk about seriousness, we have to be talk about hypervigilance, we have to talk about safety. But I guarantee you, if I have that experience with that person, they've just become more receptive to a range trip at trip, and I have become more receptive to taking that person with me and feeling my safety and the safety of the other or other people around me is ensured at a great deal higher level. Once I have that range trip with that person and they go there and they see how responsible gun ownership works, their interest in becoming a gun owner has now been piqued. And I've successfully evangelized gun ownership. I might have to have that experience four or five times with four or five people to create one new gun owner. It's worth every damn second. And even the four that don't convert have completely changed opinions because they've seen it for real instead of you know the, the media going on, Uh, there's renewed interest in an assault weapons ban, and people are arguing at the Senate and the House right now about it, and we believe that these things really, we need to take a harder look at this. And while they're playing it, they're showing background information. A guy's running around with a fully automatic M16 or a fully automatic AK-47, which the assault weapons ban does not even pertain to. Because those are Class three weapons, and they have their own method and, and, and tax stamp for ownership. They're not even part of it. And that's the misleading nature of the media. And if I want to crack that, then I've got to get that person to actually experience what I'm talking about, not just hear it, because it's my words and my ideas against somebody else's words and somebody else's ideas. And the reality is the way that I convert that person is to make it real and to make it material. And I don't know of a better bridge than Airsoft. 
So I think it's something that all of us should be involved with on some level. Even if it's just a couple cheap Springer pistols to do some shooting. You know, when you come home from work, what a great way to blow some steam off. You know, water the garden, pull a few weeds, shoot a few bottle caps. I bet you your, your mental health will improve. I've always found that things that require my attention and my, my focus and my, you know, my focus on detail. If I'm really swimming in a lot of thought, if I'm kind of drugged down, if I'm kind of disappointed or what have you about something, they, that, that, that pulls me out of that mode and allows me to become fully human again. And I think that's the big problem in America. We have many people walking around that aren't being fully human. I also want to talk a little bit at the end here about some tactical training advantages. With proper safety gear, with proper rules of engagements, we can do things with airsoft that we simply can't do with firearms, like shoot at each other. Now, I don't think you should be out there in your shorts and no glasses on, you know, safety glasses on, no equipment, shooting at each other in the backyard, putting welts on each other. I don't think that's a good idea. But with the proper equipment, we can set up scenarios. We can set up, and we can use lower powered guns for different scenarios where we might have a cl more close quarters situation. And that's a flexibility level that doesn't exist with a firearm. We can't, if you point a firearm at another person when it's not a lethal force situation, you are a flipping idiot. I don't care if you're convinced the damn thing's empty. I don't care if you've, you've cleared it a thousand times and stuck a tube down the barrel. That's not what we do with firearms. We just don't do it. Okay? We don't. Airsoft, we can break that rule. We don't break that rule when we're doing any type of target training, but when we're doing intentional tactical training, we can break that rule because it's not a rule there. So we're not really breaking it. So I'll give you an example of some things that could be done. We can set up a scenario where we have um, a, a home, an actual home, or uh, you know maybe a simulated area like a home where we, we, we recreate a home burglary situation. And the assailant will do different things at different times. At one point, the assailant may put his weapon down when told to. At another period, the assailant may have the weapon concealed and may attempt to engage the homeowner. The assailant may keep the weapon concealed and wait for opportunity. The assailant may be honest or lie when, 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 when drawn down upon. The assailant may come in shooting or may come in just to steal. We can simulate all of these things. And we can play all of these games, if you want to call them that, without putting on a bunch of camo and running around in the woods and sweating our brains out. Again, not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just trying to bring another level of this. I actually believe there's a real business opportunity for someone to create businesses that are entirely based on airsoft for tactical training, but entirely based on training and situations that are more realistic for the average person to have to deal with. Odds are, if you are a civilian in America today and you're not going to join the armed forces, you are not going to be in a 10-on-10 force-on-force engagement at any time in your life uh, with actual weapons really shooting at each other. You're just not. And, and all this you know, kind of uh, militant attitude, all, it's great training. It's great fun. Uh, it, it's great camaraderie. It's a great sport. Uh, there's a lot to be said for it. There's historical reenactments that those guys do and all, and that's great. But it's not that practical for what I'm going to deal with if somebody tries to kill somebody in the next seat while I'm sitting at a restaurant. And see, I can game that with Airsoft. Inexpensively and safely. I can game, here's a group of people, 
and I'm the armed protector. And there's a threat that's going to come in. And I don't know what that threat is because we can have different scripts for the threat. The threat can be a guy carrying a knife or a club. We'll make the club out of foam so it doesn't really hurt anybody but simulates injury. And I have to decide when is lethal force required. I can have the assailant end up coming directly first after the only person in the room that's armed or on somebody on the complete other side of the room by chance because that's just what happens in reality. We can simulate any tactical situation. What literally could be done is two or three hundred situations where armed citizens were forced to defend themselves, both successfully and unsuccessfully, could be put into a training curriculum where a student could be placed in each one without knowing what the situation is other than everything that the person knew right up until the threat started. So you're at a restaurant... You're having dinner with your wife. This lady represents your wife. And that's all you know. This is what you're armed with. This is your scenario. Have at it. Some scenarios may be the right thing was not to even draw the weapon. Now, I'm telling you, I honestly believe for you entrepreneurs out there, if you want to put together a training program, and I've already given this idea to a couple people who have you know, not done it, If you build something like that, I think your your student potential is massive. We can train ladies on, you know, hey, do you really, you know, the way you're carrying your weapon in that purse right now, does it, is it really effective? Will it really save you in the right scenario? I think there's so much that can be done with this that traditional firearms cannot do. Does that mean that we don't have full-level tactical training? No. I'm going to have Frank Sharp Jr. coming on for an interview. I think I'm going to interview him today, but you guys might not hear him until I'm on vacation next month. And that's what he specializes in. I think he's a pretty big advocate of Airsoft as well, though. So there's a place for out, you know, firing those weapons and, and, and learning them well and being familiar, and not just standing and firing, and actually moving with the weapons, and taking it up to a real level of, of, of training with actual weapons. But there's so much more we can do with Airsoft. And that's why I'm such a big fan of it. So it's not just about more practice for you for less money. It's not just about a better being a better trainer and having a better student. It's not just about going into tactical situations and getting real-world, real-speed training. Remember, it's also about promoting responsible gun ownership. And that if we do that, we're more likely to successfully defend the rights that our forefathers wanted to make sure were never taken away from us. And whenever we talk about that subject, the rights that are in the Constitution, please remember this. Those rights are seen as inherent and given to you by your Creator, however you choose to see your Creator. And that's not a religious concept, because if you believe in evolution, then the evolutionary process delivered that to you. If you believe in a traditional God like I do, then your God gave that to you. I don't care what your faith or what your belief is, our belief in our foundational laws, there are certain rights inherent to you from your Creator, and that government should not infringe upon those. And your right to defend yourself is among those things. So the Second Amendment is not a gift from government. It is a restriction upon government. And anything that restricts government requires a will of the populace to continue the restriction. Because government will grow and expand anywhere it is not suppressed by the people being governed. 
And that's why ownership is the only way, and I mean the only way, to successfully defend the inherent right to self-defense that is rested in the Second Amendment of our Constitution. And I think Airsoft's a gateway to doing that. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. I tried to put a lot of different spin on it than the first time I did this and bring more things to you and more ideas. If you are a firearms trainer out there that would be interested in putting together an airsoft component to your training that's more on that tactical scenario, things get in touch with me. I'd love to talk to you about that, give you my advice and my thoughts. Who knows, maybe Frank would be interested. And i got to talk to him more about what they're doing with airsoft anyway. Uh, but I like that idea, creating a computer database of scenarios, and then based on the number of students you have to work with, creating the scenarios over and over again, random scenarios, letting everybody see what happens. You know, letting people that traditionally are armed be in the scenario as part of the, the scenario and be unarmed. What do you do? You're not armed. What do you do now? Do you take cover? Do you move? I know there's certain limitations. Bullets penetrate tables and airsoft doesn't. Right? But there's there always is a limit to how realistic any type of training could be compared to reality. But my good friend Valerie Asanoff, former KGB member and Sistema martial artist and amazing pistol shot. This guy can do things with a handgun uh, that I, I still don't believe. Uh, always had a saying, those who sweat the most in peacetime bleed the least in war. And I think there's a lot to be said for training ourselves to be more prepared if we ever, God forbid, have to rely on that weapon for self-defense. And there's something to be said for training ourselves when we may be unarmed. There's all types of reasons that even a concealed carry holder may be in a place where they're unarmed. And I think there's value in that type of training that can come from Airsoft as well. So with that, I am going to wrap up today. I hope I've uh, kind of titillated your senses a little bit on this uh, subject. If you've not been quite as open to it before, consider making it part of your daily training. I think it's a real easy thing, certainly a very affordable thing to do. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
revolution is you.